This right here is on the Matter of Systems, a tabletop role-playing show where every month your hosts will critically engage with some RPG theory and some RPG design, tabletop specifically. Hi, I'm your host, B. That's like, uh, you know, the kind that'll rip their own guts out to sting you if you fuck around. Uh, and <laughs> as always, I am joined by my lovely, lovely, dear friend and co-host, BW. Hi, BW. Hello, everyone. I am BW. And I am really into the energy, for sure. <laughs> super, super good energy. We love it. Ripping, ripping guts out, baby. 5.1. <laughs> yeah, episode 5.1. Uh, we are talking theory today. That's why I'm your, I'm your host. I'm your, I'm your ho- co-host host. Um, today we're going to be talking about I Have No Words and I Must Design Toward a Critical Vocabulary for Games by Greg Kostikian. This is a fucking weird one. I just want to say that up front. <laughs> That's true. I agree. I believe we have had more conversations about this offline than about any other thing we have read. Yeah, I I was actually thinking about that earlier. I'm pretty sure that is true. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that is true. Yeah. Uh, it is a weird one. It's going to be fun. Welcome, listener. Welcome. So, yeah, this is the part where I usually do the uh, historical context. Um, and at the at the broadest possible level, Greg Kostikian was born in 59. He has been designing games since the early 70s. So when he was literally like a tween, <laughs> he has been active in the game scene as both the, primarily, I think, a designer and and also, as, as we will be talking about today, a theorist. I don't even know how long that is at this point. 50 years, something like that. He's done a lot of things, uh, and even trying to dig into this particular article in terms of historical context was, was, let's say, difficult, because the version we are reading today, or that we have read for today, and we're going to be primarily talking about, uh, is the 2002 version, which was, I, I just, just, like, literally on my way home from work today, discovered that this is actually the keynote speech from the 2002 Computer Games and Digital Cultures Conference. And, and so I I don't know if this is a transcript of it, or if it's a... It's, like, the notes that he was reading from, or, like, the, the version he was reading from, or something like that. Um, it, you can find it on Digra's website, the Digital Games Research Association, which I think had something to do with that conference. That conference is in um, uh, Finland, also. <laughs> um, to, you know, uh, I, I don't remember exactly what country uh, it was sweden that avery alders uh talk was in i believe um but we're we're back in the in the nordic area <laughs> um <laughs> with uh usian designers talking about stuff it was the original version was written in the early 90s uh, it was published in 1994 in a magazine called interactive fantasy uh which oh my god see okay I'm trying to give this as, as like, <laughs> short as possible, but, like, Interactive Fantasy was a magazine run by Hogshead, uh, which was a game publisher that you could literally do a podcast about. Um, they did so many weird things. And also, the thought I had, again, on the way home from work today, uh, you could you could do a Just King Things just about Greg Kostikian. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this man has done so much. It's kind of wild. Uh, uh, yeah, especially given what this article is in some ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he. I mean, he's he's huge. I, I think I said this to you at some point. I was telling a friend of mine about 
oh yeah, we're reading this this thing for the next episode. And like, I'm not super into it right now. And I sent an excerpt to my friend and my friend was like, wait, is that like Greg Kostikian? Like the Greg Kostikian? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, like he's, yeah, I mean, he's like, he's legit. He's done like a shit ton of stuff. He's like, some of his games are very popular and very well regarded. I think um, probably the single biggest thing he ever did as far as like tabletop stuff goes is he was the designer on the Star Wars uh, RPG, the West End Star Wars RPG, the one, you know, that basically created the extended universe. <laughs> Crazy. Uh-huh. <laughs> Weird. Um, and he mentioned that in the original article very briefly, actually, in an interesting aside, but like, um, yeah, to try to get back to like specifically <laughs> the history of this, um, as said, Kostikian has, has worked across a shit ton of different games, uh, styles. I think he got his start mostly in, in wargaming and then sort of, um, skipped over to, t- uh, to tabletop role-playing stuff. Um, and then has done a lot of stuff in, in digital games as well, um, in the intervening 30 years or whatever. <laughs> um, uh, 20 since this last one was republished, but, you know. Uh, yeah, he did the Star Wars RPG. Um, he did something for Hogshead actually called, like, uh, shit, I don't have it up in front of me, but the, the title of the game is just, like, Violence, and it's, like, an aggressively shitty role-playing game, the premise of which is, like, um, taking dungeon crawls into the modern world, um, hmm. uh, that sounds like like on some postal shit. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's weird. That's weird. I don't, yeah. yeah. I don't know. And like, he just, he has done uh, a whole, a whole lot of things from what I can tell in the, when the, so when the original was written in the early nineties, the like editor's note that appears before the version I was able to find mentions that um, it had been written on the subject of game design as a discipline before game studies as a discipline or game developer magazine existed. Uh, Chris Crawford's Journal of Computer Game Design had recently stopped publishing. Um, and that's why it was sort of in a... Uh, in the <laughs> house magazine of a tabletop... Like a, a, a new style, capital N, capital S, tabletop role-playing game publishers in in-house journal and then the 2002 version like i said was was presented at a, a conference in sweden um there's a bunch of things about everquest which i thought was really interesting as i was reading it because i'm an everquest person <laughs> um but also i found out when i was looking at the the other talks that were given there there were a lot of people talking about everquest so like i don't know how much that was him responding to other like the knowledge of other things being there it's all weird. Um, we, in, in previous conversations, <laughs> talked about how the early 90s version would have happened right around the time of, um, like, hypertext fiction, um, when that was, like, blowing up. And he shouts that out in the early 90s version in a really pejorative way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I was both uh, heartened to be like, oh, cool, okay, Th- like, this, this thing i thought is true he's like explicitly referencing it in the older version and then immediately was like jesus wow you're Uh very dismissive of an entire medium weird (laughs) i don't i don't have the quote in front of me but he basically says something like if if any hypertext fiction proves to actually be like art artistic or literary then we'll see but i don't think it will be (laughs) And then in 2002, he's obviously um, responding to things like the, you know, creation of MMOs. You know, this is before WoW. Um, so 
he refers to them as um, graphical muds, um, <laughs> mostly. <laughs> but like, there's there's a there's a bunch of difference between the two, and I will I will sort of try to keep us focused on the one we're actually reading and not just make comparisons. But sometimes that's where my brain goes. But in the early two thousands, obviously, he is. Um, he is more focused on video games than I think role playing games, which are much more his focus in the first one. And he is, I don't know, what even, what even context? I mean, he's, he is responding in part to like the death of a lot of the stuff that would have been in the early 90s, um, not just hypertext fiction, because that was still sort of active in the early 2000s. But like by, by the early 2000s, I believe you have sort of the death of the, the uh, multimedia CD-ROM driven business. You know, your AOL has already phased out and, and the internet is starting to look a little bit more like it currently looks like. The, you know, the 3DO I think is dead by the early 2000s. And that's in my mind always the like example given of like... A console that basically just had a bunch of FMV games on it. Hmm. Um, and that, and generally speaking, is right true just of like FMV games, um, games that have very little <laughs> what we might call gameplay. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, that's my attempt at a transition. Because, you know, he starts out this article by saying... I first heard the term gameplay when I interviewed for a job at Atari in 1982. It was used by someone who had just played a new arcade game. Zaxxon, I think. It has good gameplay. Um, and then he talks about how gameplay is useless and we need a critical vocabulary. So, BW. Hello. Do you wanna do you wanna give a shot at what what this man is arguing for? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, so I think the the first thing I will do is say, let me set up what this article is trying to do. So in, in broad strokes, this article has two sort of main parts. The first is an attempt to define what a game is and essentially provide a bunch of specific language we can use to then discuss games and gameplay, etc. That's the like primary thrust of the first part of the article, which is what, like two thirds of the paper or something? Yeah. In and amongst that, as he is sort of working towards his definition, there's quite a lot in each of the sections that are like a bunch of claims or like assertions or like speculation kind of about for instance, how fiction works. Oh, for sure. Um, how narrative works, how how games might work, what makes a good game versus a bad game. So essentially what he what he starts off by doing is saying, listen, uh, we all know that there are these things called games. We all have this uh, word gameplay, but we don't know what gameplay really means, and we don't really know how to talk about games. And so the goal of this article is to sort of assert a definition and uh, sort of uh, support each part of that definition with a bunch of examples that I believe Greg Kostikian thinks sort of support <laughs> the points he's making. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be very frank. I find a lot of his examples pretty confusing. Um, uh-huh. I feel like some of the things he chooses for examples, at least to me, seem to kind of sort of undermine his point or at least just make it really fuzzy. We'll get we'll get to crosswords and Zork. Don't worry. <laughs> we will. The crosswords one especially is bothersome to me. But um, but so that's the first like two thirds, right? So he gives us this definition, and and basically he's walked us through each of the terms in the definition, so we understand them. And then he says, "Okay, this is what a game is." And uh, then at the end of the the paper, he uh, uses a taxonomy by someone else. Um, Can I? interrupt you right here and just give the definition that he gives uh sure yeah okay um 
so yeah, we're about two thirds of the way through the through the essay, and he says, "At last, we have a functional definition of game." An interactive structure of endogenous meaning that requires players to struggle toward a goal. That's the that's the definition he lands on in this 2002 version. Correct. And basically, the rest of the article is just him saying, "Okay, so now we have a definition of game." He uses a, a taxonomy sort of about what makes games compelling is kind of the way he frames it. Uh, pleasurable, I believe, is the word. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so it, this is by Mark LeBlanc is is the name of the person. But basically, Mark LeBlanc has a taxonomy, and this is the final port. Uh, th- that's all I was trying to say. This is the final portion of the um, of the article. Is he says, okay, I have a definition, but we need to know kind of like what makes games good, right? So like we have a definition, but like what are the things that might make a game sort of like good or compelling or pleasurable? And yeah, it's Mark LeBlanc's taxonomy of game pleasures. Um, yes. So he goes through that very, very quickly. And then there's uh, some some real weird stuff at the end about how game designers are incredible and <laughs> do really, really hard work. Um, and I'm being a little dismissive, but I think that's because uh, those sections are kind of worth being dismissive of. Um, yep. They are, to, to the points be made earlier, there's a lot of this article that is very, very of a specific time mm-hmm. and very of specific, like, not just context, because, like, everything is from a specific context, but, like, specific sort of arguments and concerns and, like, weird tensions. I mean, the the like hypertext fiction stuff is like a really great example of how it showed up in the the original version or at least the earlier version be yeah. found yeah. but basically the, the the point of the article is we need language to help us discuss games in an intelligent way and so i'm going to propose a definition try and support that definition and then also point out some other useful language that really is like that's what the article is there's a lot of other stuff in it, yeah. <laughs> like a lot, but yeah. that is the main thrust. And and I think, um, you know, the the framing to me, it seems very sympathetic toward both what you and I have, have talked about in the past, especially I think I'm mostly on episode zero, but like one of his big, you know, motivating reasons for trying to produce a, a critical vocabulary of games, as he explains it in here, at least, is like... Saying that something is a good game or has good gameplay is kind of a meaningless thing. Yeah. Um, it, or it's not meaningless. It is. Um, <laughs> it is not. It does not lead you to be able to understand that thing better or to replicate what is what is good about it or interesting about it. Yeah, I actually like uh, this is this is going to be a theme this episode. There's there are parts of this article that like spring out of nowhere where I'm suddenly like, oh, oh, I just fully agree with that. Or like that was just stated really well. And I actually think the thing you're talking about is, is a great example of this. In the second paragraph, he says, calling something good doesn't help us understand what's good about it, what pleasures it provides and how to go about doing something else good. And like, you know, I have quibbles about some of the language or how he phrased it. But like, I think just in general, that's, that's a good motivation that I think we're both pretty sympathetic to, which is, we it's useful to use more specific language in order to understand something more fully, right? Yeah. Like that's, that's a, that's an urge that I think we're both very sympathetic. It's to. almost like we started a podcast to do something it, similar. <laughs> it's almost like that. <laughs> Kinda. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's my summary. Do we just want to talk about the definition? <laughs> 
Sure. I mean, so, uh, you know, stop me if I do this too much, but um, one of the things I wanted to bring up, and I think this is actually the most important one about the difference between the two articles, um, is that the de- the definitions are actually wildly different, and structurally, they're um, placed in different positions, which I thought was interesting. Um, so in the 94 article, um, the definition comes on page, like, three, basically. Um I guess four, depending on how you're looking at it. Um, And he says, so what is a game? So this is basically coming before he gives all the different examples and before he defines his terms, um, which I thought was, that was really interesting in retrospect, going back and reading the other one and being like, oh, so he went from, I'm going to give you my definition and then explain it to, I'm going to work through my examples and then from there, give you my definition. Um, a hard thing to articulate uh, as to why I think it's important, but I, I think it's, it, it makes the article read wildly differently. But in, in 1994, his argument was, uh, a game is a form of art in which participants, termed players, make decisions in order to manage resources through game tokens in the pursuit of a goal. And then, again, do you have the the 2002 one up? An interactive structure of endogenous meaning that requires players to struggle toward a goal. Those are those are pretty different sentences. <laughs> there's there's certain similarities, but they're very different. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I, I just wanted to bring that up because, like, just in the in the very high level, like, um, you know, you lose a form of art in the in this in the 2002 version. Uh, you learn lose uh, dis- make decisions. That's very important. You lose uh, game tokens uh, in the 2002 version. Um, you add endogenous, uh, which is a whole section that was very interesting. Yeah, so you lose, make decisions, and you gain struggle. You lose art. <laughs> um, yeah, should we talk through the the 2002 definition? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's kind of the the way to go here. I, I like. I, it's interesting because the thing you just brought up makes me think of, like, maybe it's worth saying at the outset, like my. <laughs> uh, p- part of my frustration, I think, reading this, especially the first couple of times, was that the way he tries to build this definition is very odd to me in the the 2002 version, the one that that I've read fully. A- and like it, it, it's a lot of like basically trying to figure out what he can kick out at each point, <laughs> right? Yes. Um, a- and. So, like, there's just, like, a sort of, like, fundamental kind of approach to defining things, finding similarities between things, even, like, just how you, you know, group things together to think through them as a critic or whatever that I just find kind of off-putting, which is, I think, like, a big struggle I had with this whole, uh, with the whole article. And I guess the reason that that sticks out, like, right this second is... I don't know. It just feels like good context for what we're about to do <laughs> to say, like, there's a part of me that finds a lot of parts of this paper very, very, like, genuinely very interesting and, like, maybe even useful. But there's also, like, a pretty fundamental disagreement about, like, the project, <laughs> right? Which is, uh, let's come up with a definition so we can figure out what game, what is a game and what isn't a game um, in this way that feels like kind of arguing from first principles but occasionally with like weird 
examples kind of <laughs> um like it just feels like a very kind of confused approach which right. felt maybe worth saying at the beginning uh before we sort of get into some of the like the individual bits to that point like right like i i brought up the hypertext fiction fiction stuff we had talked about in terms of the earlier version but like in the 2002 version this man does not stop talking about how interactive entertainment and games are the same thing no yeah this is a big this is a big point i mean this is the other thing about the things that earlier like it's so of a time and so of particular arguments where like yes yeah, he he's got. There's a couple axes he grinds here, and I I I I mostly have decided that like I'm just going to ignore some of those because I don't know why <laughs> you're grinding this axe, bud. Um, and I, I I guess again, I like maybe we should just get to the definition. But I thought it was maybe worth saying, like, sort of structurally, I kind of just like at least on my end, I'm like, I just don't even know if I buy into the way you're doing this project at all. That said, we can still talk about sort of how he gets to the various words and how he uses them, right? We should, because I think, you know, a, a, a listener may have read this, may have read it for a class even at some point, right? Yeah, that's um, true. It's, theoretical, yeah. I, this is, as far as I know, a sort of uh, a, a well, a, a, an often taught text in, in a lot of game studies courses. Um, and as far as I know, Meaning, I think I've heard it mentioned on game study studies by study buddies before, because I'm not, mm-hmm. I've never been to a game design school, despite working with a few of them back when I was doing Playdate, but you know, whatever. Should we, what do we, do we start with the game is plastic? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, maybe we just sort of just kind of start walking through and see, see what, what bubbles up. <laughs> the first section is called the game is plastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this, in this, uh, three paragraph section Greg Kostikian tries to explain to us that games can be kind of anything look at them there's so many types and then there's like a very Latourian list of different <laughs> types of games board games war games tabletop role-playing games computer and console role-playing games massively multiplayer mm-hmm. online games live action role-playing game I'm not going to read the rest um Muds, but it's mushes, like moves card games full, collectible card games play by mail games play by email paragraph. games miniature sims <laughs> flight sims vehicle sims text adventures graphic adventures action adventures shooters sneakers dancers drivers real-time strategy turn-based strategy god games platformers fantasy sports uh uh, side scrolls, maids games, trivia games, puzzle games, wireless games, location-based entertainments, gambling, paintball, sports, and the horses. Yeah, that is the full list that I was not going to read. They're all sure. games. <laughs> They're all games. Uh, which is just this. There was a version of this in the original thing, and I guess my my main question about this section is: I just don't, I don't understand what it. I don't understand what he's trying to do. <laughs> like, I, I um, don't know what this, like, who this is a, an attempt to, like, convince? Or, like, is he just, is he just saying, yeah, this is confusing? There's like, a lot of different ga- kind of games out there. A hell of a lot. Cart-based, computer, CD-ROM, network, arcade, PBM, PBEM, mass-market adult, please don't, games, please don't read games, the whole other one. RPGs, Jesus Christ. LARPs, freeforms, and hell. Don't forget paintball, virtual reality sports and the horses that's the, that's the 1990s that was that was me as 1990s greg kostikian <laughs> um, uh yeah i just read them both entirely sorry bw <laughs> it's 
Sorry, sorry, listener. <laughs> I tried. Um, yeah, like essentially, this section is basically just him teeing up. Uh, they're so complicated. We need language to use, and yeah, which is like, also what he says at the beginning. So it's just a weird. It, it was just a weird move. To I think th- so. There's a quote directly that I that I wrote down because I was like trying to figure this out last night, and I was like, okay, I think this is the thing. I think this is the only sentence here that matters, which is. Yeah. Do they even have anything in common when you get down to it? Like, the point of of overwhelming you with a bunch of different types of things is to say, like, surely PBEMs and and moves don't have anything in common. I don't know what a PBEM is. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but, like... I, oh, uh, play yeah. by electronic mail is my guess. Oh! Yeah. Totally. Thank you. Um... Thanks. So those are actually much closer to moves than I thought they would have been. But, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> one of the ones that I said very loudly, dancing. Uh, <laughs> dancers, sorry. <laughs> um, that that genre of games that we call dancers. Um, but yeah, I think the the idea is you you give this, this broad, overwhelming um, list and then say, like, surely all of those can't have anything in common. Can they? Wink. As in, that's what we're about to prove. <laughs> it's it's true, and so I mean, yeah. So the the uh, I actually like the the one other thing I'll read is just the last paragraph here, which I think is just a really it's a clearly stated sort of thesis, right? Which is to understand games, to talk about them intelligently, and to design better ones. We need to understand what a game is, and to break gameplay down into identifiable chunks. We need, in short, a critical vocabulary for games. And like again, that's a paragraph where I read those sentences and was like, oh. Yeah, I kind of just agree with this. I think that it is important to have language to use to discuss a thing intelligently and like agree on it together. Yeah, but then he, but then, but then he starts on all of his interesting terms, and I go, oh, okay, maybe we don't actually agree on a lot of things. And and to to say to that, like, um, breaking the the broad idea of gameplay down into digestible terms. Um, is is the project of a lot of very important game studies work, as I understand yeah. it, right? Hundred like, percent. Yeah. This is where you get the language of verbs from, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, I think there was that uh, Naomi Clark and Anna Anthropy um, textbook that is just basically like here uh, here is what verbs are in video games, and what that, what that is doing is saying here are the things you can do to interact with a game. Um, and and specifically how they work in in a variety of different kinds of games. So you don't say gameplay, you say, um, you know, Mario can jump and run and pivot and have physics. Uh, um, hmm. uh, but yeah, um, yeah, there, uh, we got a, we got, we got part two, which is interaction coming up next. So we're going to, we're going to define interaction here. Do you think, do you think that's, do you think that's going to be like just like super chill and like we're going to have a really good time reading this portion, BW? Yeah, I think I, I think so for sure. I'm going to so I've made a decision, which mm-hmm. is I'm going to as we go through these remind us of the definition. So, mm-hmm. uh, an interactive structure of endogenous meaning that requires players to struggle towards a goal. And so we start with interaction. What does Greg Kostikian say about interaction? B puzzles are static games change with player interaction that was that was my big takeaway from here um you know he he broadly states that you know 
Oh, wait, no. Oh, shit. The interaction thing that I was thinking of happens in the next section. Well, fuck Correct. me. Yeah. Uh. So, so, so this is, um, so, so he, he brings up Chris Crawf- Crawford, um, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Crawford's The Art of Computer Game Design, which I have not read, but I've seen mentioned 7,000 times in a bunch of places. The distinction he makes between, he contrasts what he calls games with puzzles. I'm quoting from page 10 in this PDF. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Crawford contrasts what he calls games with puzzles. Puzzles are static. Uh, then there's some more words and games are not static but change with the player's actions and so this is uh this this is sort of how he sets up what what he means by interaction which is uh in a puzzle there's not interaction because it's static right you're just quote unquote solving the puzzle whereas in a game there's like back and forth right it like the player changes the the thing because of the actions and then he talks about zork <laughs> Um, I, d- I do notice you are skipping over the crossword thing, um, because I assume we're coming back to it. Yeah, we do talk about Zork, um, and he talks about how Chris Crawford calls Zork a puzzle rather than a game, because Zork presumably is solvable, um, rather than the, the, the state changing based on player interactions. Um, and Kostikian disagrees with that, actually. Yeah, and so, so the, the and the, the reason I brought up Zork uh, first was just because like I thought that was kind of interesting, right? Where he starts is like, ah, okay, Crawford is saying Zork is is more like a a puzzle than a game, but no, but the other example that's used is I'm just going to quote this sentence: some puzzles are obviously so. No one would call a crossword a game. And I, this is taken from the Crawford. I'm I'm 99 sure this like this specific crossword and uh, crossword is puzzle, not game. Um, but like that in particular, as an example, I was like, but like there are puzzles that are better examples because the crossword puzzle is like one of the few puzzles that explicitly changes, changes like the state based of on the player game. interaction. Yeah, like you. You put the you put the letters in, and then that changes what you do next. I, I, mm-hmm. I just genuinely don't see how that is different than in Zork. You know, picking up a thing and that changing what you can do on your next set of actions. The, I I underlined the sentence. Uh, this is when uh, Kostikian is is arguing for Zork being a game rather than a puzzle. Um, They do change state in response to player actions. You find yourself in a new location. The solution of a puzzle opens up new opportunities. Yeah, I underlined that. I underlined that too. And then in all caps in a pen on my, I don't have my paper copy on my desk with me. It's in my living room. But I wrote, what the fuck? That's a crossword puzzle. (laughs) I underlined it and I only wrote it in lowercase, but I wrote, this is a crossword. (laughs) And like... (laughs) Uh, there, so there, there is a there is a, a version of this podcast, and maybe it's the version we we are recording. Who knows, right? But there's a version <laughs> of this podcast where we like, you know, dig into each of these sections and just like kind of point out the annoying stuff or like the weird stuff that seems to contradict it. But like to me, the most interesting part of this section is like this is your first statement of your definition, right? You're yes. you're trying to go okay. It's interactive, and interactivity is core and important. And then it's just like six paragraphs that left me going, I don't even know if I agree with the very first distinction you've you've brought up to make this point. Like, 
I don't actually know if puzzle versus game is like useful or interesting, actually. I was just, it's just, uh, this occurs a lot uh, where yes. I, I, the, I feel like I am missing context often when I read this and not just historical context, but like there are parts of like the arguments he makes where I'm just like, I, I feel like I'm missing information because it's wild to me. Like, I do not think Greg Kostikian is dumb. Like, I want to, like, Greg Kostikian no. is a very smart person. He's done incredible things. He's a really talented game designer. He's very well mm-hmm. regarded and well respected. But, like, it's just very confusing to me, the Zork and the crossword puzzles stuff together. Because I'm like, do you, what, what am I missing? <laughs> like, because it seems very obvious to me that this, like, this argument just kind of doesn't really hold together uh and feels like it's a it doesn't actually like i feel like he could have just described what he means by interaction and it would have been as successful if not more so if that makes sense you know this is i mean learning that this was a keynote speech at a conference kind of like changed my feelings about that a little bit like i can i can see this being a little more um like a notes based thing where he mm. he's he's pulling from stuff. I don't know that's if that's true. Yeah. Um, but I but when I was reading reading it after I I looked that up, um, I was like, yeah, this. I mean, this is like an extremely technical thing and not a thing I would bring up in most cases. Um, but like, there's hella typos throughout this thing, um, which is interesting because it's the one that you get from Greg Kostikian's website. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just like a lot of, you know, there's Anne, there's, I think there's a moment where it says Anne 3D game or something like that. Like, um, there's just like dropped prepositions here and there. Like, I, I don't know how this text was constructed, I think yeah. is, is, is the point I'm, I'm getting to, which is oh, not sh- to say that we should not hold it <laughs> to a level of rigor. <laughs> no, but it's, but I think it, I think it makes sense in the same, like, right, this, the same stuff we were talking about in the, the episode about. Uh, being an RPG reader from Cannibal Halfling Gaming, right? Where, like, mm-hmm. I think it's very important to both of us to, like, understand how a text comes to us and where it comes from. And this yeah. is, th- I'm glad you're pointing this out, because you said this earlier and it just didn't click into my brain. But you're right. Like, that actually, this being maybe lightly cleaned up transcript of a talk actually makes this make a lot more sense in terms of, like, some of these rhetorical moves, too. <laughs> Um, or like a, a draft of a talk he was about to give. Exactly. Something like yeah, yeah, something along um, those lines. Um, also, just very quickly, you 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 said that you know if this might be the podcast that we're doing. Um, if if we were doing the podcast where we were just talking mad mad shit about this sentence by sentence, I would have brought up the sentence. Um, it's adaptable to any and every technology, from the Neolithic to the high tech, um, from the game is plastic uh, yeah. <laughs> sentence. Because what the fuck? What the fuck? Sure, yeah. From the no, Neolithic the- to the high tech? What the fuck does high tech mean? I'm your editor <laughs> right now. You you, you send me that sentence. I say, what does high tech mean? Readers, we're, we are now, unfortunately, I think, making that podcast. <laughs> okay, let's, uh, let's, let's, <laughs> let's hit the eject button. Let's go to the other one. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, I... Like I, the the basic thrust of this section, right, is a puzzle is static, a game is interactive. Um, th- that is that is what he says. He's he goes through. He talks about Zork, um, military strategy games and Monopoly. Yeah, uh, but but basically says even if it's fuzzy, this is a useful distinction. A puzzle is static, a game is interactive, and what he says, uh, he says that's true of every game. 
if it isn't interactive, it's a puzzle, not a game. Which is fine. That's uh-huh. fine, I guess. I like. I just have so many questions <laughs> based on what we've just talked about. Where I'm like, that's true of every game. If it isn't interactive, it's a puzzle, not a game. But also, we don't seem to fully understand what a puzzle versus a game is right now. What's a? Um, so... can, hey, can I, can I ask? Can I have? Um, excuse me, my hands up. I'm I'm in the back of class. My hands up. Hello, here. B. Hi. Um, I'm really, sh- I'm, I'm very shy. I'm very young. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a child right now, just raising my hand in class. Um, is there such a thing as an interactive, a, a non-interactive puzzle? Uh, no. <laughs> if something is interactive, it's a game. Uh, is where he lands, which is... I'm just, uh, I'm just trying to imagine what a... And... Sorry. <laughs> uh, I hadn't thought about this till the second, so it's breaking my fucking brain. Um, is he, is, he's arguing that if something isn't interactive, it's a puzzle, not a game. He's arguing that crosswords are not interactive? I, I mean, yes, that is, <laughs> that's how I take this, like, again, this is, this is my problem with this, is like, th- there are just some moves here that I find baffling. Like, I, they don't feel super consistent to me. At the same time, like, is if I was going to write a definition of games, which I probably would never want to do, would I want to include interactive? Yeah, for sure. I, I don't know what talking about crosswords versus, uh, like, games and, like, Zork as a puzzle versus a game really does here, except kind of confuse the issue is, unfortunately, where I landed. Before I completely spiral here, can, can we get that definition one more time before I move into goals? <laughs> uh, sure, yeah. Um, uh, an interactive structure of endogenous meaning that requires players to struggle towards a goal. Yeah, so the the next section is, uh, well, uh, there's one more thing I will say, which is just the very last uh, sentence, excuse me. Every game is interactive. Interactive game is a redundancy. Yes, this will this will come back. This will come back. Uh, But yeah, so then then he basically says, okay, so we have interaction. Well, what does that mean? What does that like? What does that do? And uh and he gives the example that that I feel like it, I, I don't know maybe this maybe the reason I know this as the this as the example of like the base level of interaction is because of this essay. I don't think so, <laughs> but that maybe I mean it's in the it's in the original too. It is a hundred percent. Um, but like I, I suspect somebody had had made this uh this point before him, but I don't know. Um, I I simply do not know. Um, but yeah, he says. You know, at the base level, interaction is a light switch. Um, you you flick it up, the light goes on. You flick it down, the light goes off. That's interaction. That's a direct quote, actually. <laughs> it is, yeah. Uh, and and the point being, like, interaction is not enough to make a thing a game. Um, you you would not call turning on a light a game. Um, although I guess is a there is the there's a, a game-like aspect to it as a, a, a for an infant maybe, but like um, that's not the that's not the point he's making. He's not doing a Freud thing here. N- no, um, <laughs> I, I basically, I mean, but even from the light switch one, I'm like, a light switch isn't a game because interaction must have a purpose. I, interacting with a light switch has a purpose. Like, like there's I this, mean, there's a very he, specific purpose and goal. <laughs> Which is to interact with this thing, and the light turns on. 
Uh, well, he's, this is like, part of this is him getting ahead of himself, right? I like, know. Because yes. this is, he, this will eventually resolve in the in the point of the, in, is the reason endogenous is part Correct. of this formulation. But th- this is another, this is another reason why I think just like structurally, I have a lot of trouble with this because uh, th- there's a sense in which the way he is building this definition f- feels a little like like a, a a little patronizing maybe <laughs> where like in the most generous way you could say that he, he this essay assumes you've read his his previous one that that is that is probably true yeah but like just the way i read is like if you're going to give me an example to make a point about a thing but you're like clearly then relying on a thing that's five sections later I will find out five sections later. Like, it's just going to make me super confused. And that's what I ended <laughs> up having here is like, I just had so many questions about what he meant by goal here and like what the purpose should be. Because again, a lot of his examples just ended up being really confusing to me. Yeah. Um. I mean, yeah. So, so he goes from there to interaction... <laughs> becomes a goal when it's decision making with a purpose right is yeah like... so that's the, that's basically the next move right is like um so he, he gives this uh... this very complicated thing about like you have to choose a or b and the thing will ch- it. but basically he's saying in order for interaction in the the game sense there needs to be some sort of decision made right and he then basically talks about how maybe decision making is too strong of a concept there's a a very weird thing about how quake and mario are fast games so maybe you're not making decisions but i have a lot of questions about that um (laughs) but they don't seem super relevant to the article honestly i will say um they are not super relevant to the article they are super relevant to the article he wrote 10 years prior um and that's interesting and as as someone who could probably also talk for an hour about like very specific things about the first version of this article, I am glad he went this direction rather than the one he did earlier. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, That's interesting. Um, um, I don't think it's particularly well um, articulated here, but like, like you were saying, like there, there are just incredibly frustrating moments of just being like, your examples are not, do not seem to be supporting what you're arguing for, given that you haven't, given a definition or any sort of like clarity of what you're aiming towards. Yeah. Um, but once rereading it and having the context of the previous article, I was like, okay, well, at least you didn't fall into the same fucking uh, pitfall that you did last time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there, there's a lot in this section. Yeah. There's a lot in this section. The thing I'll say about like the definition, right. Is like, I think it, I think he could have mostly written like the first I don't know, third of this. And I would have found it a little confusing, but I would have been like, sure. I mean, like you've, you've convinced me that like, it's not just interaction. There needs to be sort of like a goal oriented decision making, right? Like I get that. Like that, that makes sense to me, but man alive. He he talks about like Sim city for a while and Sim earth. He goes on a, a a pretty long thing about how Will Wright called Sim city a toy but it's but it's actually a it's a game too kind of according to this but sim earth a, according to what i've read here <laughs> Greg Kostikian is arguing is not a game i think 
No, I, th- I so my understanding of this is that he his argument is that SimCity, as Will Wright said, is a toy because it's not goal directed. The reason it becomes a good game is because there are because the toy affords a bunch of different possibilities for goals. His example, I think, is like you can make a city where there's no slums. So you give yourself a direction or a goal here, uh, whereas Sim Earth is bad because the goal has no stakes to it. These are not his his words, but he basically says, like, in Sim Earth, unless you intentionally try to fuck it up, you basically just, like, set some parameters and then watch as intelligent life evolves. Uh, I'm going to read, this is, a, this is a sentence from page 13. Quote, playing, unquote, Sim Earth is like flicking a light switch up and down. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Is like flicking a light switch and down. There isn't any <laughs> Like I said, point. there's a lot of typos here. <laughs> There isn't any point. Like, I, 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 it's just a, it's just, I, I, I genuinely just don't understand the point he's making. Uh, (laughs) Because it feels so particular and it doesn't feel like it supports me understanding uh, how goals are important to a game exactly. Because he's basically outlined how both SimCity and SimEarth have different types of goals, but one is bad. But like, why? Why Why is Sim Earth having an end, like sort of a, a scripted ending bad? Like, that's a goal, right? <laughs> I just, I, anyway, I just find it very confusing, to be honest. <laughs> um, um, I, so I have, I have two things here. Can I, can I, can I do my best to, to try to convince you of what Kostikian was actually, was arguing here? Please, yeah. At least this is what I've convinced myself that he's arguing here. I think he is making, with the SimCity thing specifically, a a fairly nuanced and pretty interesting argument, which is that goals, or that the games need goals to be games. This is his definitional argument, right? I think with the SimCity thing, what he is saying is that even if the, the, you know, the object itself does not have designed goals in it, the player can present goals to it, and that still makes it a game. So he's saying SimCity is a toy, per Will Wright, the designer of SimCity. It's also a bunch of very good games because people come to it and find um, find individual goals that present a game structure, to an interactive structure, I guess, um, to themselves in, in the situations in which they are playing. Does that make any sense? Y- yeah, I mean... I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff that we could talk about, about the difference between SimCity and SimEarth. The thing I keep tripping up over is, mm-hmm. I'm going to read another sentence mm-hmm. from uh, page 13. SimCity is a game, at least when a user plays it as a game. Yeah. SimEarth, despite the similarities, is not. And I, I guess I just don't understand why Sim why SimEarth couldn't also be a game when a user like you could still bring your own goals to it i don't know why sim earth having a sort of end state takes it out like i genuinely just maybe i'm just dumb (laughs) like he's he's trying to extend the light switch argument here um he is saying that like because sim earth's goals are achievable even unless you actively subvert them which Again, I think I'm basically just saying what you just said. You could, you can, you can present your own goals to a game and or a thing, and that makes it a game. Um, 
that that it's not i think what he's trying to say is not a compelling goal oh is, yeah so this is, yeah, yeah. i mean this is where i landed <laughs> absolutely is like uh, he is he is using language to say sim earth is not a game i think what he is actually trying to say and it just doesn't seem very clearly stated to me is that mm-hmm. he thinks sim earth is a bad game but what he says explicitly in the text is it's not a game which yes. is is where i just I, I just end up stumbling over like i this is this is just confusing. Like you just seem to be kind of s- switching what you're arguing a bunch of times. Um, can I also? Sorry to. Yes, a hundred percent. This was me trying to do my my like my kindest read on this particular uh, example, uh, which again comes after me reading it like four times, um, and yeah, th- the best I could do was. Sim Earth is him trying to argue again that the light switch is not a game thing, which I don't even believe in the first place. Yeah, yeah, and that's, I mean, and that's really what it comes down to. Is like, I, I think what you've said is exactly correct. I understand the point he is making. I just think, I think I just disagree from like first principles that he lays out, right? Which is like, I don't know that he's convinced me that a light switch isn't a game, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Uh, and he will it eventually because once we get to endogenous, I start to be like, oh, okay, I can, I can, I can now see the distinction you're making yes. here. But that does not yeah. help me with Sim City versus Sim Earth, to be perfectly frank. Can I, can I bring a little tiny bit of context in here? Also, I don't really know that this is as funny as I think it is, but I think it might be. Uh, sure, you, uh, you, uh, blanket statement. You don't ever have to ask me permission to speak on our own podcast. You could just tell me things. It's fine. <laughs> Oh, I know. I I do that to for a setup reason. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, I was I was browsing the SF Encyclopedia uh, entry for Greg Kostikian or late last night, uh, and there's a sentence here. Uh, more recently, he has done some work on video games, of which the most notable is perhaps Evolution, the game of intelligent life. <laughs> a real-time computer war game in which the goal is to evolve an intelligent life form of uh, uh, sorry <laughs> in which the goal is to evolve an intelligent form of life which might have appeared on earth interesting you know what also doesn't show up in the 1994 version of of uh this article no, i don't sim earth <laughs> oh really? I I thought I saw that Sim City was in it when I skimmed. Sim City is I... definitely in it. Sim yeah. Earth is a hundred percent not. Huh. Um, That's fair. There is a there is a very petty reading of that, right? Which is that Kostikian tried to make a Sim Earth. It failed pretty bad, and then he was like, "I'm gonna take some pot shots at Will Wright." Um, <laughs> I don't think that's what happened. I mean, th- there's a bit. Of, that's a bit of a weird theme, though. Of like, uh, even some of the stuff are, that's coming up around like EverQuest and Ultima Online things, where like huh. he just gets real deep into psychologizing other people, and it's like it feels it feels like weirdly pr- petty. <laughs> um, yep. But yeah, like I, so, like I, just to kind of <laughs> wrap up, right? Like I, I, you are exactly doing the right thing. I'm just not like in a mood to be, I guess, very charitable to him after reading <laughs> this five times. Um, uh-huh. And and mostly because I, I've talked before, right? I've talked, especially on our theory episodes, like a thing that matters to me when I'm reading something is like a person who's really aware of like scope and audience and like has a, uh, that I feel like I'm reading work by this person and I'm like, oh, you have a good grasp of sort of what is a realistic sort of goal for this argument or like 
uh, you've couched your argument really well, so I understand the context and blah, blah, blah. And like, that's just a thing that's missing here. Uh, it, it has, to be honest, somewhat somewhat similar vibes sometimes to Ron Edwards stuff where like, uh-huh. it's just like, yo, okay, that was a real big swing for, I don't really think any good reason based on what the goal of this article is, but okay. Um, so like, you're 100% right. I just... Like, I wish that this section was like, I don't know, a few paragraphs. And what he was saying was like, listen, interaction is useful for a game, but we all think that games are like something more than just interaction, right? There's like a goal. They're like, you need to do something, right? That's sort of part of the interaction. And like, I feel like that in and of itself, I would have been like, oh, okay, yeah, I actually, that just makes sense to me on like a very basic sort of, I don't know, a priori level of like, yeah, you're right. Like, a thing I think is important about games is not just interaction, but interaction to do a thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's where we get at the end of this, is uh, games are goal-directed <laughs> interaction. And like, yeah, good. I just, all the stuff about SimCity and SimEarth, I'm like, I don't I don't know why we did that, bud. <laughs> so, okay, so, so what do we have? So we have games are goal-directed interaction. Um, I'm going to read the definition again. An interactive structure of endogenous meaning that requires players to struggle toward a goal. And next up is struggle. (laughs) Uh, This section's weird. (laughs) So let's let let me see if I can quickly cover the like definitional part. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then we can talk about all the weird shit in this (laughs) this section. Um, so, uh, games are goal-directed action, but goals alone are not, are not enough. And he, he then spends what, like two and a half pages, nearly three pages, uh, basically sort of showing us how it's not just enough to have a goal. You need to sort of have some sort of friction to get that goal, right? He talks about, you know, basically like... They're like one way of doing it is like competition, right? So like between other people, but there can also be, you know, like in Dungeons and Dragons, it's NPCs and the monsters by the the GM or whatever. And, you know, talks through a few other things, but like essentially at the end of the day, what he what he's saying is in order for it to be a game, it needs to be interactive. It needs to have a goal-directed interaction. And you need to struggle to be able to reach those goals. Um, that's basically the big... That's that's what he is saying in terms of his definition. Yes. He also says many, many other things in the, this section. I feel like the the example here is, is, is all of his own making, right? Um, it's the... Uh, Here's a game, it's called Plucky Little England, and it simulates the situation faced by the UK after the fall of France in World War II. Your goal, preserve liberty and democracy and defeat the forces of darkness and oppression. You have a choice. A. Surrender. B. Spit in Hitler's eye. Rule Britannia. England never, ever, ever shall be slaves. Which did you choose? Did you, you chose B? Wow, good choice. Congratulations, you won. Wasn't that satisfying? Ah, the thrill of victory. There is no thrill of victory, of course. It was all too easy, wasn't it? Wasn't it? There wasn't any struggle. Um, I think that particular section covers, at least for me, (laughs) both... It both covers what the argument he's making is, Mm -hmm. which is to say, if you you win without any sort of complications coming up, there isn't... uh, There isn't any joy to be had there. And it also covers... 
specifically in choice B, how much of an asshole <laughs> he can be when writing this essay, when when giving the Correct. speech. That is true, for sure. Yeah. Um, Rule Britannia? Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right. That That is, that's like, that is his big, that's his big example. It is immediately after sort of the, the sort of first few sentences. And it it is, it the rest of this section is him essentially kind of sort of exploring that specific layout of like, it's not satisfying if you just can, if you just pick a thing, right? You need to like actually have to work towards it a little. Um, yes. I, like, I'm broadly like that's like an interesting way of talking about games i guess uh i don't know if i'm convinced that uh struggle is maybe the exact correct word but like i like i think that's i think that's fine um it gets us to sort of the the next version of the definition right which is a game requires players to struggle interactively towards a goal but man, there's a lot of other weird stuff in here. There's a lot. Uh, do you do you got anything off the top of your head? <laughs> I, I mean, I was gonna I was gonna quickly just say like for one thing like uh, so he 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 at the very beginning uh, sort of pits competitive versus cooperative games against each other. Mm-hmm. There's this very weird language about every so often the politically correct attack games as being competitive and therefore bad and like. I just feel like maybe I'm just way too distant from like 90s and 2000s in terms like is were was it the people who are politically correct that was they were mad about competitive games or were they just mad about people shooting things in games <laughs> um like this distinction that he brings up which is like uh these politically correct people they want cooperative games but real games are competitive he then essentially basically goes, but we don't really mean competitive, we mean struggle. But then he brings mm-hmm. this exact <laughs> comparison back later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I'm just going to read, just going to read. Uh, the desire for cooperative games is the desire for an end to strife, but there can be none. Life is the struggle for survival and growth. Mm -hmm. There is no end to strife, not Mm -hmm. this side of the grave. Mm -hmm. A game without struggle is a game that's dead. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. I tend to broadly be sympathetic to the idea that I think games, I think there, I would probably use the word friction, not struggle, right? Like there's something that's sort of resisting you and sort of making you the player like act in some way to try and like accomplish the thing. But like, I do not understand any of this rhetoric around cooperative games because he seems to understand cooperative games as like this weird straw man of like, he literally says people who want cooperative games mean they just want to throw the ball around. Mm-hmm. And like, I just, who is saying that, bud? Like, I just, this is just such a wild claim and like, just goes so hard. Like, life is the struggle for survival and growth. There is no end to strife, not this side of the grave. This just came out of nowhere for me and felt like really confusing rhetoric. <laughs> so I wanted to point that out because I thought that one was very weird. <laughs> There's, uh, in the, so, I don't remember the exact, uh, quote, but in the, in the 1994 version, um, he says something along the lines of, like, uh, s- a similar thing, right? Like, um, these 
I think he actually also uses the politically correct uh, <laughs> terminology there. Uh, but he says something like, like, mm-hmm, you betcha. I'll stop playing Mortal Kombat to throw a ball around. Um, yeah, he so says a very... Yeah, he says yeah. a very similar thing about, I think he like... he uses a different game in the He uses Quake. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, he also doesn't say, you betcha, which I, I want to stress is spelled out Y-O-U space B-E-T-C-H-A. Uh, it in is. The, in the <laughs> Wait, is it is it in the 2002 version as well? Oh, no, I, I have the 1991 open. Okay, uh, yes. While you were talking. <laughs> um, um, yeah. I I don't know how to position this. I don't know. Whatever he's doing, he's doing games are or he's doing life is a social Darwinism thing. Oh yeah, hundred um, yeah. percent. Which is just fundamentally something I disagree with. And, Correct. Yeah. Same. Uh, um, and uh, there's there's probably a couple more things in this section that are like similarly like this is a weird thing. Um, <laughs> I'm curious if you, I don't know that I have any deep thoughts about the fiction stuff that he goes through here. Um, uh, but he does, uh, this is not the only place that he makes some claims about how fiction works and how narrative works that are sort of interesting, but I don't know that I am equipped to like dig in. Um uh, um, I'm I'm blanking on what specifically is in this version versus the older versions. Then that's fine. I mean, I, I I think the big one to me that like I think is useful to or interesting to talk about from this section is what he says about Grim Fandango. So Grim Fandango, uh, right. we don't do this often, but Grim Fandango is a is an adventure game, um, <laughs> yes. like a point and click adventure game, right? Um, yeah. uh, it's great. I've played through it. Uh, at least once i think i've actually i might have actually finished it twice and genuinely i think it's a really good game um and it's you know it's a point and click adventure game the way that they are so you go from room to room there's like different sort of scenes you can like interact with things you can talk to people you combine things together etc and basically he says you know so in graphic adventures right it's not competition right like in in these sort of point and click adventures you're not competing against somebody else so is there is there struggle and he says well yeah because there's puzzles and you have to solve those puzzles right and like some of them can be harder and like there's like order of operations things that can matter but then he basically says mm-hmm. and if you <laughs> like you could do that you could play this game and only pay attention to the story and like not pay attention to the puzzles but uh like then it's like then it's not a game is what he says before that though he says well first of all i would never pay 50 dollars for four hours of entertainment uh, i literally wrote you <laughs> yeah same uh i think i wrote fuck this or something <laughs> but um and like this is an argument that still gets made today which is just an absolute bonkers argument mm-hmm. but it's especially bonkers to me because uh, the like subtext of this entire article is Greg Kostikian saying, games are art. I am an artist. I should be respected because game design is really hard. Yes. Uh, so it's absolutely wild to me uh, to make the where fucking, this sort of grim yeah. Fandango thing goes. Um, yeah. He's he's just doing the like actually entertainment is is a is a is a transaction. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent is just like here here is an amount of money that is worth an amount of time. And and to me the 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 most frustrating thing about the Grim Fandango stuff is specifically how it 
for me, like, uh, highlights my just, like, fundamental disagreement with, like, what he is trying to do here, right? Because, so, like, let's just do the thought experiment. So let's say you have you have Grim Fandango. You're welcome to replace it with literally any other sort of point-and-click adventure that you are thinking of, right? Any story-driven take, game, right? Yeah, any story-driven game. And you take out all of the puzzles, right? Mm-hmm. And then what he says is, okay, but so now that's not a game. But, like, just literally thinking about what Grim Fandango and like, let's say it's not that you take the puzzles out, but there's just a, there's a, you just solve them all automatically, right? Like going to the next dialogue option just gives you the things you need. That thing is still way more like a game to me than it is like a movie. Mm-hmm. Because like, you're moving a dude around. Even mm-hmm. if you're not solving the puzzles, you're still going to advance. And like, I'm just far more interested in going, oh, okay, so this is an interesting distinction. These things both feel to us kind of like games, right? Or they feel at least like a different thing than other mediums that we know. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that tell us? But his move is to go, yeah, and if you take the puzzles out, then it's not a game and it's stupid and it's not worth paying money for. Uh, anyway, so struggles important. <laughs> or not, th- not this amount of money. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Maybe less than $50. Um, yeah. I-, I think I said this in in my notes or maybe even to you during one of our conversations before the episode but like i've just been having a really hard time getting this to like cohere for me because there is something like like you said there so like there's a section later on that we're gonna get to and like i don't even know that i have a lot to say about it right but like there's a section that i'm not gonna be able to find the name of um but basically he's like okay we have all these things right oh yeah it's called what makes it a game and it's just a lot of questions based on all of the language that he's laid out and like i have some issues with some of these questions but in general like they're very solid yeah it's a it's like a a full page plus of just like really useful questions if you are either thinking about games and sort of wanting to critically engage with them or if you are thinking about designing games or if you're thinking about systems and how they fit together and how mechanics work together. Like there's just a bunch of really interesting, good questions, which is why I said earlier, like there's something here, but there's so much weird, like cruft that just feels so specific that it has been hard for me to like dig through that and get to the stuff that's useful. I will also say, because I mean, if you've listened to the episode zero or if you listened to previous episodes, you will probably know this by now. But like, I'm not like we're not game studies people. So like part of part of my struggle reading this was also being like, oh, I I bet if I was just more knowledgeable about game studies, aside from like the little bit I've read on my own and then game study study buddies, like I, I might just have a very different reaction to parts of this. But mostly what I've come away with is being like the thing I can do with this article is essentially just ignore a lot of stuff and basically take his terms and kind of play with them. Because, uh, like, again, uh, he's doing some good thinking about sort of how a a definition would sort of build and, like, what open questions you have. It's just he then uses those things for very weird reasons often. Um, Or he contextualizes them in in just deeply annoying ways. Or, like... um, can I, can I, before we move on, can I just read a bit more and, and say the thing I actually really loved about this section? Oh, sure. Are you going to talk about pate? <laughs> I am. Amazing. Thank uh, you. I was going to also bring this up if we didn't. 
the the last two paragraphs of the of the struggle continued um section of this uh, oh is uh, are... so, sorry before you read this i feel like it's very important context to let people know the thing you're about to read is three paragraphs below the thing i read earlier about how life is the struggle for survival and growth and there is no end to strife uh-huh. not this side of the grave four paragraphs yes. later Some time ago, I went to purchase cheese and pâté at a shop in Greenwich Village. After I ordered the pâté, the counterman asked if I wanted cornichons, a kind of small small pickle the French eat with pâté. Waving an arm grandly, he said, there can be no pâté without cornichons. He made a sale. Well, there can be no game without struggle. A game requires players to struggle interactively toward a goal. I... I think I don't know if this is intentional, but I cannot read that without immediately going. This motherfucker selling me a bill of goods, like, and he knows it. He's <laughs> he is saying, like, he is explicitly saying <laughs> that he was made a sale because a person said. You you can't eat pate without without little pickles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and then he mm-hmm. immediately follows that up with, "There can be no game without struggle." There is the same italicization on the word "be." Yeah, it's weird. Like not my name, the Mm-mm. the intransitive. It's weird. He, I, it's he. No, I think he knows. I don't care if he knows. Actually, is the answer to this question. I don't care if he knows what he is doing here is saying these things are associated in a cultural context and I am trying to sell you on the fact that you should buy them together based on that cultural context. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's a weird argument. <laughs> Fucking asshole. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, okay, so... Uh, a game requires players to struggle interactively towards a goal. So that's where we end up with struggle. I'm going to read our definition one more time. Are you excited? Mm-hmm. Uh, Thank you. I, I, I genuinely appreciate this. An interactive structure of endogenous meaning that requires players to struggle towards a goal. Uh, so our next, uh, our next section is structure. We're going to finally figure out what a structure is. We are not going to do that, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, uh, I actually liked parts of this section, very few parts of this section, but, uh, so he starts off by saying, um, he, he references, uh, a person named Eric Zimmerman. Um, so my friend Eric Zimmerman likes to say games are structures of desire. Um, and so he sort of uses this as a way of kind of, uh, explaining what he means, uh, in his definition and what sort of is required sort of around structure. Um, so he, he, goes ahead and says that he does he does not like the phrase that he just introduced uh uh-huh. which is very a weird why? thing to why why doesn't weird thing to do to your friend Eric why doesn't why doesn't he like it i'm so curious uh because it's pretty obscure firstly uh <laughs> and secondly because it makes games sound like a whorehouse uh, is a quote i just read um uh-huh so very of its time um but uh so fuck that yeah fuck fuck uh, that entirely but the and also what have we been doing this whole time is rereading his definition over and over 
<laughs> to explain it. Uh, so good for him for making a less obscure exactly uh, definition. Uh, but yeah, so so the basic idea here is uh, he uses this sort of uh, concept of games are structures of desire. I actually really like. Um, I actually really like the second paragraph of this. Uh, I don't know if this is if this is Greg Kostikian's gloss or if he's like taking some of this language from Eric Zimmerman, but uh, by desire, he means that games have goals and players mutually agree to behave as if the goal is important to them when they play. The game creates a desire to achieve the game's own goals. And by structure, he means that the interaction of the game's rules, components, software, etc. create a structure within it which people play. So this this leads to uh, a, a, long, a long section in which he um, is attempting to sort of prove to us that most things that are games uh, in his examples have some sort of structure to them. And that spans from children doing Let's Pretend to very sort of robust war game rule sets. And I think he might talk about other stuff later. Oh, yeah, he talks about Ultima Online and EverQuest for a long time. Um, but, But all of these things basically serve the same the same point which is to help bolster his claim that another sort of core concept that is important to helping us define a game is that uh it there is some sort of structure by which he means there are components to the game that sort of structure how you can act within it and sort of drive you or help drive you or help you drive yourself towards your goals does that feel like a a fair sort of summary of the like definitional part of this section to you? Yes. I think um, he, in my read, at least he is talking, he's talking about design, but I think he is smart not to say the word design. Yeah, I think that's true. I think I would agree with that. Um, Because a a lot of, yeah, a lot of what he's saying is like, it's the, the design design decisions that get made early on or, 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 you know, ultimately have have very small effects that lead to very large differences but he's not only talking about design decisions he's talking about uh, broader things that uh change and then he makes a point about literary criticism that we don't have to go into yeah i mean I, that's like that's <laughs> this section especially like the struggle section was probably the one that i had the most like kind of just like ugh, gross kind of reaction to and this one i actually have like i just i just think he's wrong about some things in here <laughs> um mm-hmm. uh but like, yeah, like there's a whole thing about war games that mostly is unobjectionable it's just really long and just feels like uh, he's just putting a lot of effort into making a pretty simple point, which is the the rules of a game affect sort of player behavior. Um, I you're talking about the zones of control. Thing? I am, yeah. I actually, I actually kind of i I found that useful. <laughs> Great, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that part's bad. I just like I, I didn't I didn't find it necessary. Um, is I guess what I where I landed, but. Uh-huh. Uh, but like, yeah, he talks about the the differences between different war games versions of zones of control, which is like when a when a unit is within another hex of another unit, how do you deal with that? And he he again to your point, BW he he like he maybe belabors the point a bit <laughs> um, and goes on a bit too long. But like the the result of that being like. 
th- these very, very apparently minor distinctions lead to wildly different outcomes. And by wildly different outcomes, I mean the difference between a World War One game and a World War Two game. And, and I did, I did underline the next section there, where he's just like, when I was a teenager, I worked for a war game publisher called SPI, and at one point I put together a huge tomb consisting of rules culled from all of their different games as a reference. Um, and I, I, I appreciated that bit as a, I don't know, maybe I just appreciated at this point in the article him saying something about himself and his his own history rather than kind of making very weird wide swings about the the state of games and and the the truth of games yeah. with a capital T yeah no i i, um, I think that's fair uh, and and i think i mean for what it's worth like i uh, i like i said like i don't dislike the war game section i actually like i found it really clear like i i absolutely this was this this section stood out to me because i was like oh i super get your argument and like I understand how it is bolstering the sort of definitional claims you're trying to make. I just I just found it like sort of overly stated essentially. But um, but I, I think yeah. I mean I th- I totally get your reaction. I I will say I think there's there's just some like interesting sort of sentences in here. Um, when he's talking sort of through this stuff, there's a section. This is on page. 19 there's a sentence here where he is he basically is saying listen like a a lot of war games have like terrain effects combat results tables like a bunch of different sort of like rules and tables right um and then he says and now i'm quoting by combining these rule mechanics you build a structure you build a conceptual framework that defines the working of the game and guides the player's behavior within the game uh trivial differences in the specific mechanics you you use can produce major differences in player behavior as we saw with the difference between locking and rigid zones of control like I, again like i i think it's a very clearly stated section um and i really liked how clearly he stated the like like, this is what I am sort of, this is how I am using the structures of desire, right? Is like, you take the different rules, you take the different bits of a game, and they become a structure, and that structure sort of defines how players sort of act within the game. And like, oh, yeah, okay, like, that's, yeah, that's useful. That's like a useful sort of framework and like conceptualization of like how you think through what a game is or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you want to talk about EverQuest for a bit? <laughs> I will keep it short. <laughs> um, do, you, do you want me to set up what the Ultima Online and EverQuest thing is first, or do you want to set that up? Uh, no, I, I I will keep it all short. Um, he basically talks about how Ultima Online um, allows for player killing and EverQuest doesn't, um, and and this leads to different uh, you know outcomes. Um, I just wanted to say, as a person who was playing EverQuest before two thousand and two, this this is a petty thing. This is why I want to keep it short. Mm. There were there were there were servers where you could there were there were PK servers and there were non-PK servers. So this was like, a question I had while reading this because this was my memory as yeah. well. It was that EverQuest did yeah. have player kills. It's just that it was uh-huh. more constrained. Mhm. Okay. Great. And uh, if I'm being generous, I I think he is excising that particular point in order to make his broader point without having to uh explain a bunch of shit right yeah and, and i think this is actually an interesting timing thing too or like you know when this came out both the original <laughs> yes. right which is like i found it really interesting just like from 2023's perspective right to be like oh i guess you would need to 
like at this point, especially in the first version, if it's in there, like help people understand the structure you see in an RPG or a war game is also in the game, like the video games, mm-hmm. right? Like it, I thought that was just very interesting historically of like, oh, I just, it wouldn't even occur to me that anyone would question that like mechanics influence player behavior in, in these two different things, right? Um, I found that yeah. interesting. I don't, I don't find where he takes the actual Ultima and EverQuest thing very interesting, but um it's not uh, <laughs> yeah uh and and uh, yeah i i don't know there's like a weird aside about like you know uh garriott's uh previous ultimate games like encouraged pro-social behavior whatever that argument was was like not particularly interesting um and I don't know. There's also just a, a reference to Varent Interactive, which I was just like, mm-hmm. I haven't had a thought about Varent in a very long time. Yeah. I think I think by the time this was published, or he gave this talk, or shortly thereafter, it was taken by taken over by Sony Online. Uh, EverQuest was taken over by Sony Online Interactive. Um, Varent had a very short uh, run over mm. <laughs> EverQuest, despite creating it. But yeah, I... Yeah, I there you know that there's that part of my brain that was just like there were PK servers, asshole. Like this is not yeah. <laughs> this is not an accurate re- representation of EverQuest. Well, it, it, um, which, which makes the which makes the weird psychologizing that happens a little later even weirder to me. Which is like he just he does a lot of like conjecture about how Garriott feels about, about player killing and whether it was a failure or a success or whatever. And it's just it's just a weird move. Um, yeah. Similar weird move uh, right at the end of this is uh, when he says that uh, you should study economics to be a game. <laughs> um, and I would just like to state for the record, I do not think if you want to be a game designer, you need to study economics. I think it could be useful to do some reading and like systems thinking and like systems theory. I think that could be very helpful. Um but uh, uh-huh. don't you don't need to study the economics, please. Um, you need to study uh, historical materialism. Sure, um. that is that is <laughs> that is what B says. Um, but basically, I mean, that, like uh, that's ki- that's kind of that section. Uh, it, it gets us to I, the sort of the new version of the definition. Yes. Before you get there. Okay. Um, I, the reason I was laughing as hard as I was partially is because, um, yeah, that specific sentence where he says, like, a solid grounding in economics would be required if anyone seeking to learn about game design. I uh, highlighted that and wrote no. Yeah. <laughs> on it. Yeah. Um, and, um... Yeah, but uh, it gets us to sort of the new version, right? So where we end up at the end is a game is an interactive structure that requires players to struggle towards goals. And we're getting really close. I will read, I think for the last time, our functional definition of a game, which is an interactive structure, we've talked about both of those, of endogenous meaning, have not talked about that, that requires players to struggle towards a goal. And we've talked about both of those. So... The next section is endogenous meaning. What the fuck's that? Did you know, according to the dictionary, I'm quoting here okay. from this article, mm-hmm. <laughs> according to the dictionary, one definition of endogenous is caused by factors inside the organism or system. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the more the more relevant one here and, and the one that 
Kostikin is actually arguing for is the one he uh, then follows up with as his own gloss on it um, is a game structure creates its own meaning. So the endogenous meaning portion of this uh, article is basically him saying what's important about a game that what is meaningful about a game is the things it it creates um his his like sort of first example is monopoly money mm-hmm. uh, he says you know if someone goes up to the street and offers you monopoly money you go you're an asshole but when you're playing monopoly the money is the most important thing in the world because the game creates meaning uh, it creates meaning for its own, you know, tokens, as he would have said in the in the previous version. It doesn't just create meaning; it creates value. Is actually mm-hmm. uh, one of the things he talks about. He talks about like being gifted a a high level weapon in EverQuest when he was a very um, he was a very low level. Which that particular example again struck me deep in my heart as somebody who who played a bunch of EverQuest, especially as a basically a child the uh the community in early everquest was was toxic as fuck but occasion but like there was a, an affordance for just like all right i'm out uh i'm gonna give the most random person who is probably actually a child like i was um a very important weapon and you know good memories sometimes um, this uh, this is this is also a World of Warcraft thing that it, it's continued on there. Oh, as well. 100%. Um, I, I have yeah. re- I have in fact received some gold from a from a person who was wandering around Orgrimmar uh, and was just like, "I'm quitting the game. Come and get a hundred k gold." And so I walked up mm-hmm. and was like, "Hello," and I got a trade window yeah. opened. <laughs> it was incredible. Um, I it was even such a thing. <laughs> at the point you know in the in the early 2000s the very early 2000s like 2000 where my my little brother would like create alts just to beg from people hmm. um, Amazing. It, you know <laughs> good dude. world uh, and then this and then he does one of his trademark things right he does um yeah his uh but does okay he's like Okay, so endogenous meaning, right? It makes sense, right? Um, you know, taking a piece in chess isn't important, except for when you're playing chess. Mm. It's not important to, you know, if you if you grab somebody's knight piece in chess, who cares? If you grab somebody's Monopoly money, who cares? But if you're playing Monopoly or chess, and you do that, that means something wildly different. And then he's like, what if, does this, does this cover the stock market? <laughs> I read this section... Two full times before the first conversation you and I had about this article. I, and mm-hmm. like, I'm a, I'm a, like a pretty okay reader. Like I pay attention. <laughs> like I, you know, like uh-huh. I went to grad school, like I have a master's, like I've had to read carefully. I, I genuinely thought he was making the opposite point of what he is trying to make in this thing, because I find this section so confusingly written. <laughs> yeah. Uh, He's, it is, uh, we, we have not touched a ton upon uh, the way he uses colloquial language yeah. to uh, sort of endear himself. And, and I think, you know, for me at least, like, realizing after having read it a few times that this is a, a conference paper made it, made that come off a slightly different oh, yeah. or slightly better. 100%. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there is a use of, like... He, it's not quite as bad as in the in the 90s version when he says like hell of a lot all the time yeah. but <laughs> um, there's like you betches and like there's a there's a yeah. section where he he says like it, i think it's in this section where he's like it ain't real or something like that 
Um, mm-hmm. And it's it, yeah, like knowing knowing that it stemmed from a talk did did also make me go like, oh, okay, I get some of these moves now. Yeah, but like, <laughs> there's there's a use of colloquial language here that I think like really, really, really impacts the argument. And 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 I think now that we both have have had time to read it and talk about it prior to this, um, it's it's fairly clear what he's saying. But like on the read through, I think he does an extremely bad job of communicating what he is trying to say when he is trying to say um, that the stock market is actually not a part of endogenous, or, or the stock market does not produce endogenous meaning. It does not produce a meaning on its own terms. Um, do you want to, do you want to like go through that at all? No, I think that's, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know that, uh, I don't know that the listeners need to hear me recount how I'm, uh, slow <laughs> at reading. Um, but like that is, I, he, he just, he, he just phrases it really badly. Cause like when I read it, so basically mm-hmm. I was like, I feel like he's undermining his argument and you were like, yeah, but no, no, he, he's not. And I was like, okay. And I read it a third time and was like, oh my God. Okay, yeah. You just wrote this in a way that somehow communicated to me the exact opposite thing you were trying to communicate. Um, but basically, yeah, I mean, it's just the thing you said, right? Which is like, he's he's trying to test his definition. And so he tested against the stock market. And no, the stock market isn't a game because the stock market has is not just endogenous meaning. There's ex- exogenous meaning. I've never tried to use that word. Maybe it's not a word. Yeah. Um, it is, and he uses it. Oh, he it. does? Okay, great. Then exogenous yeah. meaning. And I, I took it from him. I knew that. Um, <laughs> uh, which makes perfect sense to me. Like, that, like I, th- there are ways in which the stock market is game-like, but like I'm not invested in being like, the stock market is a game. And I think there's something really interesting. This is probably the section I found most interesting to think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think, it, I, think there's, I think there's a lot to just kind of like sort of dig through for me in my own brain about like, like I'm interested for instance in actual play stuff and like thinking about actual play and thinking, I mean Mm. like friends at the table we've talked about before, but like friends at the table, like they're playing a game and there's like a lot of interesting meaning there, but it's just interesting for me to think about like, they're also very interested in sort of uh, trying to, tackle big ideas and things that might impact the world and it's not that there's like they're not affecting sort of the world exactly in that game but i don't know i found this Mm -hmm. just like interesting to think through i will say Mm. the the stuff he says about nonfiction and fiction i found very confusing in this section (laughs) where he's talking about how nonfiction and fiction work and then he talks about how a nonfiction game is different than nonfiction, and yeah. Uh, basically, he says, like, so he, he says, you know, uh, games and fiction can sort of be uh, viewed as similar, right? But, like, you can't take that too far because some games are sort of based on historical events. They're sort of more close to, like, a nonfiction thing. And then he talks about uh, a game, Imperium Romanum 2, that he, he worked yep. on. Um, and... <laughs> He's he's saying that it's not it's a nonfiction game, but it's but it's still a game, and that's because it's a game. Kind of <laughs> is sort of the, my read of this, which is like he. This is among the worst arguments he makes. Yeah, in this entire thing. Uh, like <laughs> uh. I, it was just like oh okay, because well, like 
Uh, for the most part, I don't like a lot of the things he says in this section. Uh, I will say also one more just weird point for me is like when he's going through all of the things that are like, and this has meaning, uh, this has no meaning in the real world. This has no meaning in the real world. Uh, achieving a kill in a quake death match will do nothing for you in the real world, but may elicit glee or satisfaction when you're playing the game. That's a quote. I have that underlined. Sorry, yes. eliciting glee or satisfaction is a thing that's happening in the real world. So, uh-huh. <laughs> what? Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Which is, again, like, uh-huh. this is one of the more interesting <laughs> sections to me because I'm like, I actually found the endogenous meaning like, oh, I had not thought about that. There is something about games that's very that are very interesting and kind of insular, right? And they, they sort of, they are these sort of like... I mean, this is what we, t- this is, the, this is the fucking point of the podcast, right? <laughs> like, uh, in some ways, like the thing I find interesting about tabletop RPGs is they're these like really interesting systems with all these pieces that kind of interact. And I like just seeing how that goes and thinking through that. And so like endogenous meaning was the first time in this article where I was like, oh, this is useful. This is like, this is super interesting, actually. Yeah. It's just that okay. then okay. the the all of the other stuff he says, I find mostly either confusing or like pretty wrong. <laughs> Or in the case of the, like, Imperium Romanum, like, nonfiction game thing, I, I just, I genuinely am not sure the point he's trying to make. Uh, this is not true. But when I read that, I was just like, he's just trying to flex or something. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just don't no, care. And, it, and it, has, <laughs> it definitely has a little bit of that, right? Like, uh, but, yeah. Um, or he's trying to, he, probably more accurately, he's trying to talk about a thing that was very important to him uh, and, and like, make more people aware of it. Because probably this is not a game that a ton of people have played, right? Like, Yeah, I don't know. The, the, the best possible interpretation of this, in my brain at least, is, like, he's like, hey, this is, like, kind of relevant to this thing I was kind of talking about, like, two pages ago, and I really wish more people had played this game that I kind of worked on, but it was, like, you know, published by different people. Um, and and also, it can teach you better than any, what, half dozen books on the subject? Yeah, yeah, he does claim that, um, for sure. Um, yeah, like, it's, it's fine. I, I, like, he ends the section by sort of laying out, I think, in the clearest terms, like, what he's trying to say, which is, uh, this is the last sentence I'm going to quote. So this is page 24. Imperium Romanum 2 is drawn from reality, but it recontextualizes that reality to establish its own endogenous meanings. And I'm like, it's like, that's a very, like, I understand that that is the thing he is trying to argue for, but it still just reads to me like, Imperium Romanum 2 is a game because it's a game and it's not a book about like uh, the Roman military. The closest he gets to actually arguing that in these two paragraphs is that he talks about how, again, he talks about how it's better than reading any, any six number of books or yeah. whatever, um, because it, it allows for simulation and change, yeah. I guess, is is like, again, me being as generous as I can possibly be here. <laughs> well, and I think you're right. It, uh, it's just, it, it also seems to me like that's like, almost a different argument or something something yep. um i i, I uh-huh. think the thing i said in my notes was like th- this starts to feel like a metaphysical argument more than like a meaning mm-hmm. argument um and i just i don't yeah. i don't know what greg kostikian's background is but i don't know that greg kostikian is ready to have a metaphysical argument 
at, at the, no, at that, no, that's not like throwing down. Metaphysics is just like a discipline with like its own thing, right? Like it's just there are like specific concerns when you're having a, like when you're having an argument yes. on the metaphysical level uh, in terms of like analytic philosophies sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> it, it was not meant to be a burn. I promise. It's more just like I, I, maybe maybe Greg Kostikian has studied philosophy. I don't know, um, but like. Uh, it was just, the, yeah. I don't know. It's ha- this hasn't been updated since 2002. It's maybe true. it's maybe it's time. Maybe it's time, maybe it's time for you to to take no, to, to throw the gauntlet. Down. No thanks. I'm good. Um, and so then <laughs> the next section, uh, we have we have our we have our definition. We have a functional definition of a game. We finally have the definition. An interactive structure of endogenous meaning that requires players to struggle towards a goal. And then the next section is called interactive tain- interactive entertainment, and I, I I'm gonna summarize this is him it grinding an axe. Yeah, th- this is th- I'm gonna summarize it this way. Uh, there is no such thing as interactive entertainment that is not a game, and if you if you think that you're bad and you hate games, <laughs> and and you might think I'm being flippant and a little snarky. I'm going to read a quote. In short, the search for non-game interactive entertainment is wrong-headed, inspired by a failure to apprehend games and a foolish, reflexive response to what they represent in our culture at this point in time. It's just a, it's a lot of him arguing very strongly that, uh, or at least asserting over and over again very strongly, that anything that is interactive entertainment is a game and boo if you think anything otherwise. And I don't, I don't really know what else to do with this section. <laughs> here's, a, here's another quote uh, where, that I just wrote, hmm, next to. Any form of interactive entertainment that isn't a game must be non-interactive or not entertainment or pointless. <laughs> yep, he wrote those words. Um, uh-huh. I don't know that I find... Uh, I don't know that I find this section super compelling. Um, there's some. This is the definition of of him just being in a particular 100%. moment, right? Yep. Like this. This, this is, is what this is. There's the the only reason this exists is because, like, I was trying to sort of like broadly state early on, right? Is like, you know, this is the end of the CD-ROM era, the FMV era. You know, this is extremely post hypertext fiction. Like he he is. I mean, hypertext fiction still existed in 2002, obviously. I'm not saying no, but, it's not true. Well, and he, I mean, he um, says the CD-ROM thing. He says it in this, yeah, he says it in this area, right? Which is like, he's mm-hmm. talking about, um, you know, like old encyclopedia CD-ROMs or whatever. And he says, uh, this seems pretty darn tedious to me. And it is perhaps indicative that entertainment CD-ROMs basically no longer exist, except as games. Uh, and I just found that very interesting because... I feel like there are probably a bunch of different reasons why we no longer see entertainment CD-ROMs, um, mm-hmm. especially at this time. The biggest of one to me would be that the internet is getting bigger, and so uh-huh. you no longer need to sell people individual CD-ROMs. You can put it on uh-huh. the internet. Um, like, you know, you might have a, an ability to do things like make MMOs yeah. now. Um, <laughs> which, like like you said, I, I think actually, like, we probably could have ended this little segment with what you said, which is this is the most him grinding an axe that this thing gets in some ways. Um, yeah. It's a it's a just a wild section. Um, and I don't know that I have anything else to say about it. 
I th- I think we gotta just rush yeah. through these last two. Yeah, minutes. I mean, so so the thing the thing I mentioned at the beginning, right? So there's this like section of LeBlanc's taxonomy. So this is a person named Mark LeBlanc, um, a taxonomy of game pleasures. Uh, I will read the 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 terms because I think the terms are kind of interesting. Yeah, and I will say really quickly before you do yeah. that that I I looked into this a little bit. I didn't do a, a super deep dive, but I couldn't find any like clear like article or anything like that that i could Same. reference yeah um, i could not i i did i actually spent a i i looked during one of our conversations about this and then i actually spent mm-hmm. some time afterwards and I, I could not find just like a a source i could find things mark leblanc had written and people referencing this but i couldn't just find a lot of powerpoint yeah i couldn't just find a source <laughs> um yeah. But like d- my general gloss on this uh, is like, I think that these are interesting terms, actually. Totally. I, I think yeah. that there's some really interesting stuff here. It is clear that this is like kind of tacked on. This was not in the original. All of these sections are like way shorter than any of the other sections. Um, it, yeah, this is not even touched on the original. And I think when we were doing research together and, and both individually, I think it's pretty clear that this came out in the late 90s, early 2000s. So this would not have been out when he first yeah. wrote I have no. I have no words, words and I must but I design. Must design. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so uh, the terms, the terms that LeBlanc uses, and that uh, I guess it's worth saying too. So the reason Kostikian is sort of suggesting these is what we have now is we have a definition of games, but what we yes. still need uh, are some some things to help us think through why people might enjoy them, or like what might make some parts of a game more compelling or less compelling. Um, or to use the verboten word from the beginning of the uh, essay, <laughs> what makes a game good? Um, yes. Right? <laughs> we're full we are. Absolutely. We're, we're, th- listen, we're pros. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. so the term. So the first term is sensation. And uh, I, the only thing I will say about this is uh, this is just another great example of he gives he gives an example to try and like bolster a point. And the only way I could read it was to be like, I think you just undermined your own point. But basically, it's, you know, sensory pleasure is important, right? Like the like the uh, having things that like look interesting or are, like fun to interact with and like provide sort of pleasurable sensation is part of game design uh fantasy not necessarily orc selves magic so not genre right but more like blah, 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 the ability yeah. to lose yourself in a thing right um i so i when i was going through these i wrote like a, a parenthetical word next to each of them oh sure yeah um so for me sensation the thing i wrote was pretty nice um the thing i wrote next to fantasy was world building yeah, that that seems like what he's getting at um and then the next one was yeah. narrative which is pretty straightforward but I wrote drama there because he makes a point of it being like that there is a potential for dramatic tension. Yeah. Rather than like an explicit story. Yeah. There's a, I actually really liked this little thing, which is, uh, this is on page 28, but by narrative LeBlanc doesn't literally mean attachment to a story. What he means is something closer to this Games should support a sense of drama. Um, I just thought that was a, that was just a nicely worded little sentence. Um, or I guess a couple sentences. And then challenge, uh, which is, as as Kostikian says, is pretty equivalent to sort of struggle, uh, which is interesting. Yeah, that also makes it very clear that these glosses on it are his, yes, right? Yes, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, when he says challenge, he means struggle, like I mean it. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then fellowship, which is an interesting one, I thought, um, and, and I think is like, I actually think it's like cool that LeBlanc included it as like 
part of this taxonomy because I feel like this is a thing that if you, for instance, in the 2000s were mostly thinking about like computer games or video games, you might not think about this in the same way as you would from like, you know, like things where people are gathering together. Um, Absolutely. And so I thought I thought it was just I, I just think this is an interesting thing. And like to the to the point I mentioned earlier about like there's a section, it's like maybe the next section or two sections later. I think some of the questions around fellowship are interesting. Like what what is your design sort of doing in terms of like community, whether it's like longer term community or like short term community at a table or whatever. Um, so I thought that was interesting. What did you write for fellowship? Yeah, Community, actually. Hell yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, and then discovery, which is, you know, exploration, basically. I yeah it, that is that is right I I think the interesting thing there is when he he says like there are the obvious versions that are uh, I'm not quoting at this point um, but there's the obvious versions that are like wandering around a map and there is the other less obvious versions which are like revealing hidden information yeah um so the thing I wrote there this is uh the only one no uh this is the first one I wrote two words for rather than just one word. So I just wrote revealing information, yeah, um, which I think is a is a is a good broad way to describe discovery that like discovery is better <laughs> for, but it was a good gloss for me. Yeah, well, and I actually really like the Magic the Gathering example he gives uh, in the, sure. the final paragraph, yeah. just because uh, it was a genuinely useful sort of like twist on discovery that I hadn't thought about. Which is the point is just Magic has so many different cards that like. Uh, almost no one see- has seen every card in play. And so you're kind of always going to encounter either a card you hadn't seen before or a specific deck and a combination of cards that maybe aren't familiar to you. And I, I, I just appreciated that because it's like not exactly where my brain goes in terms of discovery. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought that was that was useful. Uh, expression, which is sort of self-expression. That's what of. I wrote. Um, but it's, you know, like a player expression, uh, like on, in an MMO, obviously it's like, you know, whatever in world of Warcraft, it's transmog. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's also, you know, D and D you can, uh, you know, you like you, you play your character, you get your things, et cetera. So yeah. Self-expression. The final one is very interesting. (laughs) Um, let's go. Let's do it. Masochism. Um, I wrote in parentheticals submitting yeah structure yeah so so this is the quote i was going to read submission to a game structure is the basic transaction we make when we play it's it's very it's very sensual kostikian Mm -hmm. um (laughs) but uh the the first the first sentence in the masochism section is this is an odd choice of word words on mark's part (laughs) yep it's true um perhaps not an entirely inappropriate one um, but I, I did. And think- also, again, we okay. Sorry, just to actually wing it right back to the previous episode. Kostikian is the dude who wrote that weirdo sex yeah. uh, okay. table for for D anD D that was referenced in Peterson's The Elusive Shift. Um, that like every time I have read that section, which is probably three or four times, I'm like. I can't tell if Greg Kostikian is like 
horny in a good way or horny in a bad way. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, what I will say about this, this, I, I do think masochism is a weird word um, mm-hmm. to use on LeBlanc's part, but I understand what he's doing because I think, I think there is something very interesting. I mean, this goes along with the structure of desire sort of language from uh, Eric Zimmerman that Greg Stickin used earlier, where it's like, Absolutely. Uh, there is there is pleasure in, uh, or it is important to basically sort of not lose yourself, but like commit to the bit kind of, right? Like commit to the structure and like sort of living within the game and like living within the endogenous meaning and the structure that sort of builds that endogenous meaning. So like masochism is a word. I was like, okay, weird. But uh, otherwise I was like, oh, th- like this submission aspect is actually very interesting. I don't have anything to do with it right now, but this is this is an interesting sort of term and like way of thinking. Yeah, I also, I think like, I feel like Masochore is probably like a slightly later development in, in video game subgenre um, stuff. But yeah, it, it, the, I mean, like, bullet- the Kaizo Mario stuff has existed at this point. Yeah, that's like, what I was going to say is like Kaizo stuff existed, Bullet Hell stuff existed, but like yeah. it turning into like the Masochore and what that is now, I think is after this. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I, I, I would generally pinpoint that at like. Um, what is that Super Meat Boy? Yeah, right, that's like the, that's where I like think it started. Late two thousands, yeah. but like, there, there's no way Super Meat Boy start. Like, I mean, obviously Super Meat Boy didn't start that. I think Super Meat Boy popularized the Massacre sort is, of yes. formulation. I don't think it started um, it, but it is where I think of in terms of popular imagination. That's when people started talking about it loudly. And and again, this is one of the things that I felt like was important to bring up the fact that you could do a fucking Just King things about. <laughs> Kostikian here, yeah. like, this motherfucker's been around a lot of places. And this is partially also why I'm extremely happy to say, you wrote some sentences that suck shit, my dude. Uh, you've been around for a long time. You've talked to a lot of people. Um, and, I, and I can imagine that a lot of things filtered in and out and in and out. And, uh, you know, there's there is a lot of a lot of stuff going on here yes um, i think that uh speaking of um do you want to talk about the uh, next section uh no no i don't <laughs> I fucking don't so the next the next section i will just say is called artists it is less than half a page maybe it's about a half a page artists with an ellipsis it is artists with an ellipsis and it, it is it is kind of just more like w- weird ideology slash vague maybe axe grinding um, but his whole point here is, listen, a game designer is an artist. Artists uh, have to master techniques, and then you have to combine them in novel ways to, like, make a new innovative thing. He makes a very strong claim, which is uh, there's only a handful of people. Yeah, in this field, in any field, I'm quoting, there are only a handful of masters who have achieved that final stage, who work with intentionality and create as a result of pol- a polished, innovative product. Uh, and there's two things uh, I wanted to point out here. The first is, uh, I think he's just wrong. Uh-huh. And I think that this is a pretty diminished view of sort of making and creation. <laughs> um, I, yep. I, 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 so yep. I'm a person who likes art, capital A art. I go to art museums. I have traveled multiple times to go see art that I care about a lot. And... That said, the thing I hate most in the world is great artist thinking. (laughs) 
Like the people who make art are people. And sometimes the art they make can be transcendent and beautiful and moving and whatever. But like being an artist is just a thing you do with your time and money and energy and life. Uh, And you can get really good at it. Uh, And so I think this is just like a pretty weird view of creation. And also... Uh, I believe I, I believe Greg so Stickian has told on himself a little bit uh, uh-huh. because apparently the goal of an artist is to create a polished and innovative product. Do you have any thoughts on that, B? Yo, what a weird thing, huh? Yeah, it just it just feels very like. Uh, Hold on, can we can we just you know, those last four words? Can we just like relish them for a second? Polished like, and mm, innovative pol- product. Mm, mm, delicious. Polished. No, I hate it. And innovative. What's weird to me is that, like, suddenly this, it, when I got to this, it just shed, like, a whole new light on so much of it the first time I, I reached this point. Because suddenly the axe grinding made sense. Because, oh, this mm-hmm. is in part an economic argument for you. My games matter, and you should pay attention to them, because I am a very talented game designer, and that is what yes. you do, is you give me money for games. Uh, yeah. Yeesh. This is not how I think about making stuff. Um, uh, you want to talk about Marxism? <laughs> um, I want to... I, okay, what I want to do very quickly is... Uh, is, is Praise Kostikian for keeping this bullshit into one small area. Yeah. As opposed to, like, I when I read at the top of this podcast, his uh, his definition of, of games from the <laughs> the 94 version, uh, where art was a, as a fundamental term, and he spends a lot, a lot more time absolutely talking the most boring shit about what art is. Um, in that essay that he does in this one. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't read it fully. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, in that way, specifically in a couple of other ways. It's it's better in other ways also, but like... Yeah. Uh, well, the good news is we can move <sighs> on, because the next section is actually pretty good. So the next section yes. is the yeah, one I, I mentioned earlier, <laughs> which is what makes it a game. And I, I'm just going to read you. the like first section, or the first like little sentence here, which is, when designing a game or playing one and trying to understand its appeal, you won't do badly if you start with the tools I've discussed here, both the definition I've provided for the game and Mark LeBlanc's taxonomy of game pleasures. And there's two things I noticed in this sense. <laughs> one is, I I was like, oh... Are you doing a different thing with this article than I thought you were doing? <laughs> because, like, this is the first time in this article that I have genuinely gotten the very clear sense from him that, like, he is, remember, trying to provide us tools <laughs> to use, uh, which is what he stated mm-hmm. at the beginning. And then I personally just got very lost in a lot of his weird rhetorical moves and a lot of, like, his very bonkers claims about how fiction works, how games work, how people work, etc. And so, like, coming to this the first time I read through this, I was like, what is ha- what is happening right now? Because what follows is just a lot of, like, genuinely solid questions, right? Like... Uh, here's some simple ones. Where does the struggle lie? What obstacles must the player o- overcome? How is the game enriched by alternative or subsidiary problems? Is it too hard or too easy on the player? Like, yeah, those are those are useful questions to ask if you're trying to like think through a game and like understand a game or you're trying to design a game. 
Like, do the algorithms that govern the game support what the designer is trying to do with the game? Like, this is this is this is conversations that are not just like internal, but like internal that are good at understanding both the audience and the team. Yeah. Yeah, like the the next <laughs> sentence I was genuinely impressed by. Do they, quote, feel right in the context of the game world and the fantasy it attempts to sustain? Are they both complex enough yeah. to pose difficult choices to the players and simple enough that the player will not be mystified by the game's behavior? I'm mm-hmm. l- like, wow, okay. Suddenly I am like, yeah, okay. I'm remembering Greg Kostikian. It is an incredibly talented game designer who's like <laughs> super smart and has an incredibly... like amazing career like Uh this section is genuinely just very good there's some like wording choices occasionally that i'm like okay you're sneaking a little opinion in there but that's fine like if i i'm not a like i've said i'm not a game studies person i'm not a like whatever right but like if i was ever in a position where somebody was like i'm trying to design a game bw i don't know what kinds of things to think about i would be like oh i actually have like a page of questions that you could think about uh and just pull this immediately like it's just good it's good yes yeah i don't like i I don't even have another thing to say it's just i like i I, this is the best part of this article to me and like like okay so this is this is the one that i wanted to 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 call out right um this paragraph of questions if there's a story to the game Ah, yeah is it emotionally satisfying does it feel like there's a dramatic sweep to the game, or is the endgame dull with your opponents on the run as you grind out the last few conquests to get a win? When do players' hearts pound, and why? And if the answer is never, what do you have to do to get them on the edge of their seats? These are not my priorities in t- storytelling. No. But yeah. these are very pointed questions that lead to good results i think <laughs> oh yeah i mean the two paragraphs later is the is the one about like connections and community and i think these are like yeah. killer questions right like does the game create connections do they like does it sort of encourage them to talk about the game and with each other or is it mostly sort of like in the game like it's just mm-hmm. it's just very well done like these are yeah these are great like yeah knocked it out of the park i love these and I and I will say, like, right, like I I don't know how I would respond to these if you just presented them to me. Yeah, I, th- I think that's th- that's absolutely fair for sure. I think I would, on balance, probably respond more positively than I did to this article, which is not to say that I didn't really. I mean, <laughs> we're definitely two hours over at this point. We both found things here to talk about. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Oh, I mean. <laughs> Uh, I, uh, when we first met about this, I was ready to never recommend this to anyone ever in my life ever. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, I solidly, if somebody was interested in like, uh, I don't know, thinking about games more seriously or something, like I would give them caveats, but like, I would actually recommend this to a person and just be like, listen, you're going to have to deal with some like rhetorical <laughs> moves that are pretty weird, but just uh-huh. Ignore that stuff and focus on the terminology and how he is suggesting you use the terminology, because I actually think this could be like useful tools or whatever, Um, which I didn't expect at all. But that's kind of where I've landed personally. Yeah, I think I think for me coming out of this is like having, you know, read through this, whatever, a half dozen times um, and 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 the earlier version, maybe twice altogether. The, The journey for me was going from like. This is wild to, 
okay, I could see how framing this in the context of a classroom would make sense. Yeah. I don't know that sure. I would necessarily recommend it to a person one-on-one personally, but I could see, like, teaching it in a weird way, whereas, like, I have control of at least some of the context of this, and so I can um, give you extreme counterexamples alongside this article. Oh, yeah, and I... uh, Let me be clear. Uh, The only reason I said the thing I said is because I was like, well, I'm not a teacher, and I'm never going to be a teacher. The the thing I said is nonsense in terms of sending it to a person (laughs) randomly. Uh, You are correct, though, right? Like, I think I I now understand why you would teach this, because I think, like you said, you have the control of sort of the classroom in context. And so you could set you got pedagogy, baby. You do do have pedagogy, (laughs) which is great. Um, We love pedagogy. Um, Mm -hmm. We do. Yeah. Um, There's one more section. And I, I don't there's a there's a section that's the final quote and yeah. he fucking he quotes from young and like i don't know man <laughs> i this is a weird section um but what i'll say is uh I, like again the very last uh sort of paragraph or i guess sentence of this i was like oh yes okay you, you keep making me forget that you're trying to do a very like kind of useful and productive and generative thing, which is like provide some language and some tools for people to use. Right. Uh, Cause he ends it by saying he's, so he's been talking about how creating a game is like super hard and impossible. And Oh my God, it's the hardest thing in the world. And so like game designers are like incredible. Uh, but the final sentence is, but your chances of getting that beautiful, wonderful, superb game will be much higher if you begin with intentionality. Begin by thinking about the experiences you want your player to have, understand what makes a game, and understand what ple- pleasures people find in them. Like, yeah, that's a pretty good statement. Like, it, like if you want to make something good, it can be really helpful to like do some of this thinking ahead of time, right? And like, think about what your goals are. What do you want your players to do? How do you want your players to feel? And then start designing towards that. And yep. here's a bunch of language about specific types of feelings or sort of responses your players could have. It's great. I I could ignore the three paragraphs above that. But but yeah, like, again, he ends it in a place where I was like, oh, yeah, oh, okay. I now remember your, your point. Uh, cool. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And then it's done. <laughs> It's it's done, and we have a definition of games. We have a whole taxonomy of games. It's incredible, um, and um, they're canon now. So <laughs> they uh, are going forward on the matter of systems. Yep, we'll, I don't even have it open. I can't even make this joke. We're only going to <laughs> reference terms used by Greg Kostikian. Um, um, from now on, that's not for true. the matter for on the matter of systems. A game is a form of art in which participants. Sorry, I was reading the old yeah, one. You're reading the old uh, one. Uh, <laughs> we only operate from 2002. Please, thank you. Um, a game is an interactive structure of endogenous meaning that requires players to struggle toward a goal. Fine, <laughs> whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, do you have Do you have any other thoughts on Mr. Kostikian? Um. <laughs> Uh, do I? <laughs> I think only you can answer that. Unfortunately, I yeah. I I mean, like the note I wrote for the the last part when I was trying to just like write a sentence for each uh, section uh, of this article was like, uh, "Shit's hard. I hope this helps." <laughs> as the like as the quote for the final quote part, the last like you know yeah yeah three quarters of a page. 
And like that was generally the uh <laughs> that was generally the affect I got off of this last bit, even as annoying as it as it is in some ways. Like it, it genuinely felt like, hey, we are doing a weird thing, and I would like to hope that I have helped you do it better. Yeah, I, I guess that's the other that's like sort of the other thing that I, I'm glad you I'm glad you said exactly what you just said in the way you said it, which is <laughs> this really is uh the main thrust of this article is like a generous and good thing, right? Which is, we are in community trying to build these weird things. <laughs> and like, mm-hmm. how can we maybe sort of do this better or more effectively and talk to each other about them sort of more clearly? And like, that's rad. That's good. That's good, important work in community, right? To like create shared language and help each other sort of talk more effectively about things. There's just so much yeah. stuff you got to look over. Uh, but like, I, I really, I think it is worth hammering on that a little of just like, a lot of the stuff that I think I hate most really feels like it's of a time. And I still think there's a lot of interesting stuff here to sort of pull from. And I think it comes from a good place on Kostikian's part, right? He was trying to do helpful and interesting work for a community. Uh. Okay, so, okay. So, so, PW. Hello. Got a, I got. Ha, what the? What are we doing? What are we doing next? Oh wow! Is, I don't know what okay. we're doing next, and I'm very worried. Wow. So at first, uh, what are we doing was a big question, existential, um, that I'm not prepared to answer. Uh, I can answer the second question though. Uh, so what are we doing next? So uh, for five point two, we are going to read. Can you click on the link in our five point one production notes doc? And then you'll have to scroll down. Ooh. So we are reading uh, Troika. Uh, oh, fuck me. Do you, do you know Troika? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've never read it. <laughs> why do you? Why do you? Okay. So Troika is written by uh, Daniel Sell. Um, please explain your reaction. My knowledge of Troika is almost exclusively from my reading of OSR blogs, um, where they talk about Troika a lot. And a lot, a, a ton, especially about the infinite number of uh, supplements to it. Okay, uh, so we're not going to read any of the supplements. We're just going to read the main book. Uh, we're reading the Troik- Troika Numinous Edition, um, mm-hmm. which is the, the the sort of main book. Uh, this is very interesting to me that this is sort of comes up in OSR stuff. I was not aware of that. So Troika is a very odd game. Um, so it's a book. Um, I have the physical copy. I think I, I think I backed the Kickstarter for this one too. Um, cause I just thought it looked really interesting. And so it's a, it's a, like, it's a hundred something pages, but there's really only about 30 pages that are like the actual rules. There's, there's quite a lot of, uh, collections of things. <laughs> Scrolling through this PDF that I've just opened up. Yeah. Uh, I see the cover art. So. Troika Numinous Edition. Sure. Yep. I mean, <laughs> that is... Next page, uh-huh. I see uh, <laughs> some tables for melee weapons, ranged weapons, beastly weapons. The second page, the third page, is random spells, <laughs> damage roll, jolt, jam- damage roll, firebolt, damage roll, dragon fire, and then we get um, the copyright information. After two pages of tables... Well, so think of this. this think of this. This is a, OSR to me. Think of this as a printed book. That's the inside. That's that's inside the. That's like the inner front cover, right? Um, so it's like oh, it's printed on the cover. It's for reference. Yeah. Uh, 
Ah, okay. Um, okay. So the, the the Troika Numinous Edition is on the front cover, and then you open the book, and I believe it is tables, tables, and then you open, and it's uh, front matter, and then it's table of contents and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so scroll okay. scroll down and just like maybe just click on, for instance, like uh, character creation, which is page two, and then scroll one page down and just keep fucking scrolling. So it's a weird game, uh, and I I chose it for that reason. Uh, it is a it's a D six game. It's a tabletop RPG. I so for you, my dear co host B, uh, the doc that I put together has a reading guide. So I'm I have like very specific pages that we should both read, and then some other stuff that we can talk about later in terms of covering it. But uh, I I basically I have some things I'll say next episode about why I chose this. But this is this is like the first time that I truly just have like no tie to the thing we just did. <laughs> um, I have wanted <laughs> to read Troika. I've owned it and I've read through it at least once. But um, it's a weird book uh, and it's a weird system. And I'm interested to talk about it and sort of what we both think about it. Um, the the big thing I will say is like uh, the thing I think about it as is like it's a very uh, it's a very flavor forward sort of book. Mm. And uh, so I, I'm kind of interested for us to play with that. It kind of came up um, talking in the Aegon episode a little bit about like apocalypse world and like theming and like that kind of stuff. And so that that was right. kind of sort of where my brain went. But mostly I just kind of wanted to read it. Um, but yeah, so we're reading Troika for 5.2 for next episode. Um, I just, uh, just uh, <laughs> out of curiosity, I just typed Troika into the to the Firefox bar that I have to see what comes up of my search history. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got a Troika review from Cannibal Halfling Gaming. Great. And a, a Dicebreaker uh, article called Fall into the Weird World of Terry Pratchett-esque RPG Troika for under $15, which is a... It was a bundle thing. Yeah. Um, but interesting, interesting, you know, I have not read enough Pratchett to, like, actually know what that means. But and and the first line of the, the Cannibal Halfling gaming thing is, imagine, if you will, that Douglas Adams and Terry Pratchett have returned from the dead, et cetera, et cetera. This is the setup for Troika. Um, this is the Cannibal Halfling gaming thing is the, the association I have with OSR stuff. That's all. Um, yeah. 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 I'm excited. I think this looks like it has really good sort of like weird tarot style art, but from somebody who's kind of maybe on the surreal end of things. Yeah, I I, I will say one of the things I love about this book is the art. I I do think that the art is really interesting. There's there's four illustrators listed in the credits. Jeremy Duncan, Dirk Detweiler, Like D, Sam Amelli, and Andrew Walter. But yeah, I I think it's, I just think it's cool. I think it's a, I think it's a weird and interesting book. I've now read through it a a full time last week. um, uh, And so we'll obviously, you know, read it more and we'll, we'll do all of our preppy things offline. But yeah. Uh, that's what we're doing. 5.2. Cool. Well, uh, should we tell people where they can find us on the internet and then let them go? Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you first. Okay, great. Where can people find you on the internet, BW? <laughs> uh you know uh that's a great question um so uh you can find me on the internet on instagram that's probably the best place uh i make things uh and i post about them i've been trying to post more about them on bakery slash workshop it's three words all spelled out uh it'll be linked in the um show notes too 
What about you, B? Where can yeah. people find you? Um, I'm I am ostensibly still tweeting at B Gabriel. B E E Gabber E L. Beautiful. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, go listen to the um go listen to the Valentine's Day comp that came out, oh, I think it yeah. three months ago at this point. Yeah, that's about right. This is this is put out. Um I don't know what's on it because it because no one has submitted anything. That's not true. One person has. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. Hey, BW. Hello. Hi. This is this is on the matter of systems, and it kind of rules, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I guess it's worth, it's worth saying. Uh, this is the first episode <laughs> we're recording after people have listened to the podcast, which is kind of fun. Uh, mm-hmm. And people have been very nice about it so far. So, yeah, hope people continue to enjoy. Fucking peace. Bye.